Hi, and welcome to Crash Course Catholicism, a podcast about Catholic teaching and why it makes sense. I'm your host, Caitlin West. Okay, so this episode is on original sin, and I love this topic. I absolutely love it, mostly because it's one of those ones that people tend to have a lot of questions around and and they can get the idea that the church's teaching on original sin is kind of unnecessarily negative and kind of unfair. And I just love breaking it down and going deeper into this teaching and arriving at that point where we realize like, not only is it not all doom and gloom, it's also just so logical and, and so beautiful in many ways. So that's what we're going to do in today's episode. We're going to respond to some of those key sort of objections that people might have to the idea of original sin. Okay, so you might have heard growing up, you know, as a kid, maybe from your parents or in a scripture class, you might have heard a kind of summary of the church's teaching on original sin. And it might have gone something like this. Adam and Eve were created in perfect friendship with God. But then they committed a sin, and the consequence of that sin was that they were then cut off from their friendship with God. Not only that, but every human being who came after them is also born in the state of original sin. Okay, We're cut off from that friendship with God, and we have the stain of original sin on our souls. Now, I remember hearing that teaching as a kid and kind of balking at it and being a bit taken aback because there were a couple of things in it that struck me as being a bit unfair. The first being that it kind of sounds like we're saying that you and I are being punished for something that a couple of randoms did like a bajillion years ago, right? And that doesn't seem fair. Like, it's kind of like when you're in primary school and there's one kid in the class who keeps mucking up. So the teacher keeps the whole class in at lunch as a punishment. And it's so unfair because you're sitting there being like, but I didn't do anything wrong. Why am I being punished for something that someone else did? And we can feel the same way about original sin. Why am I being punished for something that Adam and Eve did? Okay, the other objection we might have is that it sounds like we're saying that every person is born kind of a bad person. Yeah, like we're all sinners from the moment we're born. And again, that also seems unfair and inaccurate. And we said this in the last episode, that when we look at the world around us, we can see that things are generally good, okay, inherently good. People tend to be pretty good. It doesn't seem fair or accurate to say, oh, well, everyone's just born a bad person. Okay, now neither of these things is true, okay? The church doesn't teach that we're being punished for something Adam and Eve did, and it also doesn't teach that we're born bad people, okay? So let's unpack what the church does teach. So to begin with, if we're going to understand what we mean when we say that Adam and Eve lost their friendship with God, we first need to understand what that friendship originally looked like. Okay, so what did they actually lose? So this is the way it's put in a book called The Faith Explained. Now, I don't think I've actually mentioned this book yet, but this is probably a good time to plug it. The Faith Explained is basically like a book version of what this podcast is trying to do. It's a summary of the catechism written really clearly and simply, and it's really easy to read. So if you want to read something that it just comprehensively covers the key teachings of the Catholic faith, read The Faith Explained. It's a really fantastic resource. Okay, so The Faith Explained, in its section on original sin, it starts by talking about how no loving parent 
is content to just give their children the bare minimum. Yeah, they're, they're not just going to give them just enough food and clothing to survive. Loving parents give their children every possible comfort and convenience, everything that they might need, not just to live, but to thrive. Yeah, and it's exactly the same with God, God who is the model of both fatherhood and motherhood. God wasn't content to just give us the absolute bare minimum to survive, okay? We said in the last episode that he created us because he loves us and he wants us to be with him forever in heaven. And so, of course, it makes sense that he made it as easy as possible for us to get to heaven to be with him. So he kind of kitted us out, right, with a bunch of stuff that would just make our journey to heaven that much easier. So it's kind of like if we're going on a journey, right, if I'm going to go traveling, And my mum and dad, obviously, they want me to travel safely and to reach my destination. So they might give me a bunch of stuff that will help me on my journey. They might buy me a new jumper or pack me some extra food to eat along the way or give me a GPS so that I know where I'm going. It's kind of makes me think of Toy Story when they're getting ready to go and Mrs. Potato Head is like, and I packed your angry eyes just in case. (laughs) Okay, so we pile on all of the things that this person might need for their journey. And it's exactly the same with God, right? God equipped us with everything we might possibly need to make it as easy as possible to get to heaven to be with him. Okay, so what did he equip us with? Again, this is taken from The Faith Explained. God gave us three things, okay? He gave us what we call natural gifts, preternatural gifts, and supernatural gifts. Okay, big words. What do they mean? Let's unpack it. So by natural gifts, we're referring to those things that make us human, yeah? The things that are natural to us. So this includes our intellect and our will, Yeah, these are the things that separate us from other animals and make us able to know and love and accept God. And they are natural to us as humans. They're part of our human nature. And if we didn't have them, we wouldn't be human. Now, on top of this, God also gave us preternatural gifts. Now, what's a preternatural gift? Well, this is how it's put in The Faith Explained. It says, Preternatural gifts are those that do not belong by right to human nature, and yet they are not entirely beyond the capacity of human nature to receive and to possess. Okay, so these are things that we don't have a right to, okay? We don't need them to be human, but they are compatible with our human nature. So, for instance, we can think of something like the Avengers, right? Think of Captain America. He has super strength, okay? And he can run really fast and, like, high kick people in the face or whatever he can do. Now, those special abilities are not the sort of thing that you come across in the normal course of everyday life, right? Like, we don't normally see super soldiers running around, but they are compatible with human nature, And we do see them to some extent in the created world. So perhaps you aren't as strong as Captain America, but if you go to the gym every day, you can develop muscle and get quite strong. Or maybe you're not as fast as Captain America, but you can run quite quickly. Okay, maybe you can't. I know I can't. (laughs) I used to always come last in races. Oh my gosh. My dad forced me to do like little athletics as a kid and I absolutely hated it because I always used to come last. We actually had this agreement, me and my dad. My younger sister was allowed to have an ice block if she came first, second or third in a race. I was allowed to have an ice block if I came second last. (laughs) I remember one time I was running a race and it was the last race of the day and I was coming so far last that the officials were like waiting at each of the cones marking the path so that they could pack them up as I passed them. (laughs) 
<laughs> so embarrassing. Anyway, okay, so we can't all run as fast as Captain America. But the capacity to run fast and be strong, that's completely compatible with human nature, okay? And we see it in lots of different humans. So that's what we mean by preternatural gifts. Okay, so what are the preternatural gifts that God gave us? Well, there are three of them. The first is perfect control of our passions and senses, okay? So complete self-mastery. The second is an inherent infused knowledge of God. So the way it's put in the faith explained, it says, wisdom of an immensely high order, a clear and flawless natural knowledge of God. And then the third is immortality. Okay, so let's break down those three preternatural gifts. What do we mean by each of them? Starting with complete self-mastery. Now, this is an experience that is common to all human beings. I know I've experienced it countless times where I know that something is wrong, okay, and that I shouldn't do it, but I do it anyway. And I do the wrong thing for one of three reasons. Because it makes me feel good, okay, so I know that I shouldn't eat an entire block of chocolate in one sitting, but it just tastes so delicious, right? Because there's something that I want, Okay, so I know that I shouldn't steal, but I just really wanted that pen and I didn't have the cash on me, so I just took it. Or out of pride, yeah, someone told me not to do something and purely for that reason, I'm going to go and do it anyway. Okay, now, funnily enough, there are actually three theological terms for those three reasons for doing the wrong thing. Okay, and this is from point number 377 of the Catechism. This point refers to the pleasures of the senses, covetousness for earthly goods, and self-assertion contrary to the dictates of reason. <laughs> okay, I love that. That little extra kicker to remind us that when we're doing the wrong thing, it's usually completely illogical. The logical thing to do is the right thing, but we just assert ourselves just purely for the sake of asserting ourselves. Okay, so the catechism refers to these three things as the triple concupiscence. Okay, so the three kind of ways in which our passions might guide us to do the wrong thing, even when we know that it is wrong, and even if we might on an intellectual level want to do the right thing. So this is something that we've probably all experienced, right? When we know that something is wrong, and not only that, but we actually don't want to do it. Like, I don't want to have that gossipy conversation with my friend. I don't want to lose my temper at my sibling. But then I feel that passion rising up in me, and it just pulls me in another direction. And before I know it, I'm gossiping or I'm shouting at someone. So Adam and Eve were completely in control of their passions, okay? So what this meant was that they were able to say yes or no because they had decided to, okay, and not because they were being pulled in a particular direction by their passions. Now, this is pretty awesome because it makes it so much easier to do the right thing, yeah? At the same time, though, it also meant that since we're on a Marvel kick, with great power comes great responsibility, right? Like, because they had this capacity to be totally in control, it also meant that they were fully culpable and responsible for the decisions that they made. So think about it. How many times have you forgiven someone for doing the wrong thing because you sort of take into account the fact that, well, you know, she's really tired and stressed at the moment, or I think she was hangry, like she hasn't eaten anything for five hours and then she snapped at me or whatever. Now, ultimately, those things aren't an excuse, okay? We're still responsible for the decisions that we make. 
But at the same time, it's something that God is aware of and takes into account, that we're fallen creatures who have passions that sometimes overwhelm us, okay? Now, Adam and Eve did not have that excuse, okay? They had nothing to hide behind. The decisions that they made, they were in complete control of, and they were fully culpable for. Okay, so that's the first preternatural gift. Now, the second is an infused knowledge of God. So in the Faith Explained, it talks about how we had a clear and flawless natural knowledge of God that otherwise could have been gained only by painstaking research and study. So all of this stuff that we have to really think about and learn about and study and pray about over the course of our whole lives, that was knowledge that we just inherently possessed from the moment of our birth. How cool would that be? Oh my gosh, if we didn't actually have to go through the process of understanding it, we just fully understood it and could just contemplate it rather than grappling to understand it. So with both of these things, self-mastery and knowledge of God, it makes so much sense that if God wanted to make it as easy as possible for us to be with him, he would make us with these additional gifts that meant that we automatically knew him and could say yes to him. Okay, so the third preternatural gift is immortality. Okay, now by immortality, we don't mean that we were destined to just stay on earth forever and ever and ever. So it's not like that book, Tuck Everlasting. I don't know if you read that as a kid, the book about that guy who's immortal and he just is stuck on earth forever and all these people are living and dying around him and it's like super depressing. That would be incredibly boring. And as well as that, as we said in the last episode, we're made for heaven. Okay, we were always made for heaven. So when we say immortality... What we mean is this. As human beings, we are both soul and body, okay? We discussed this in the last episode. And if we are both soul and body, it doesn't make sense to separate those two things, right? So in God's original plan, once we came to the end of our time on earth, we would go to heaven, body and soul. We wouldn't experience that incredibly painful separation of soul and body that we call death, Okay, so those are the three preternatural gifts, mastery over the senses, an infused knowledge of God, and immortality. Now, on top of these preternatural gifts, the church teaches us that God also gave us a supernatural gift. Now, what's the difference between preternatural and supernatural? Okay, well, we said that preternatural gifts aren't the sort of thing that you come across usually in nature, but they still kind of belong to some degree to the created world, okay? Now, a supernatural gift is different in that it completely transcends anything that I am capable of as a created being. So the Catholic Encyclopedia puts it like this. It says supernatural gifts are beyond the reach of all created nature, even of the angels. They elevate the creature to a dignity and perfection natural to God alone. So we said earlier that with the preternatural gifts, if I work really hard, I might sort of obtain them to some degree. But when it comes to the supernatural gifts, it doesn't matter how hard I work or what I do. There is nothing that could bring me even a centimeter closer to possessing those supernatural gifts because they belong to God alone. So I can't earn them. Okay, he has to give them to me. So what is this supernatural gift that God gave us? Well, the church refers to it as the gift of sanctifying grace. So what does that mean? Okay, what that means is that we were able to participate in the divine life of God. Okay, so again, this is from The Faith Explained. It says, 
God let his love, which is the Holy Spirit, flow into and occupy the souls of Adam and Eve. And then it goes on to compare this to like a blood transfusion. Okay, He says that as the patient is joined to the blood donor by the flow of the donor's own blood, so were the souls of Adam and Eve joined to God by the flow of God's own love into their souls. So this is what we call sanctifying grace. It's the thing that allows us to be in relationship with God and ultimately to be with him in heaven. Now, the only thing, the only thing that God asked of us in return for these incredible additional gifts, the only thing he asked in return was that we accept them. And that doesn't just mean that we just say, Oh, wow. Thanks, God. Thank you. I accept your gifts. Thanks. Bye. Okay. What does it mean to accept a gift? Think about it. Like if I get a present for Christmas and it's all nicely wrapped up and they hand it to me and I say, oh, thank you. Oh, wow. And then I put it down on the ground and I walk away from it and I never open it and I never use it. Okay. One could argue that I hadn't actually accepted that gift. Or you think of like, um, that what's that Mission Impossible thing where he's like, your mission, should you choose to accept it? Okay, I will admit to having never watched a Mission Impossible movie, but I presume that when Tom Cruise is given his mission and he accepts it, he then has to actually go out and carry out his mission, yeah? He's got to run around being like, pew, 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 I'm Tom Cruise. <laughs> he can't just go home to bed. He actually has to go and complete the mission. So when we accept something, that means that we have to then do something, okay? That has to be some show of acceptance. It can't just be empty words. So when it comes to Adam and Eve, this show of acceptance took the form of an act of obedience. Okay. So in the preternatural and supernatural gifts, God had given Adam and Eve everything they could possibly need to be in a personal relationship with God for all eternity. And so in order to show their acceptance of those gifts, there had to be a single act of obedience so that Adam and Eve could say, yes, we want to be in relationship with you. We want to make use of the gifts you have given us that allow us to say yes to you by saying yes to you. Now, what was this single act of obedience? Well, we read about it in Genesis, right? God tells Adam and Eve not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. However, as we read in Genesis, Adam and Eve were unfortunately unable to carry out their one job. Okay, They were not able to submit their intellects and wills to God and accept him as their God. And they showed this by eating of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, we don't need to get caught up in whether or not Adam and Eve literally ate a piece of fruit, okay, and that that was the first sin. And if it wasn't, well, what was it? What was the original sin that they actually did? Not only do we not need to get into that, we shouldn't get into it. In fact, I kind of love the arbitrariness of it being a piece of fruit. Why? Well, because it reminds us that God wasn't saying, don't do that specific thing. He was saying, do you choose me? Yeah. Blink once if the answer is yes. Blink twice if the answer is no. Right. Don't eat the piece of fruit if the answer is yes. Eat the piece of fruit if the answer is no. And in fact, if it had been made explicit in the Bible what the specific sin that Adam and Eve committed was, then we would actually run the risk of taking that one specific sin and kind of elevating it above all the others and sort of treating it like, oh, you know, that is the greatest sin you could possibly commit. That's the sin of Adam and Eve. Okay. When in actual fact, the problem isn't the specific sin. The problem is sin itself. Adam and Eve said no to God. Okay. And it doesn't matter what form that no took. 
Now, what happened when Adam and Eve committed that sin? What was the consequence of that no? Well, we probably know what the answer is, right? We lost those gifts and were cut off from the state of sanctifying grace. Okay, so Adam and Eve gave back and did not accept the preternatural and supernatural gifts. Now, they retained the natural gifts, right? God didn't take anything from Adam and Eve that belonged to them as human beings. But those extra gifts that allowed them to be in a personal relationship with God, they gave those back. Now, it's really important to clarify here that God did not take back those gifts, okay? It wasn't like he gave something to Adam and Eve, they weren't grateful enough, and then God was like, fine then, if you're not going to use it, I'll take it back, okay? God didn't take back those gifts because we weren't grateful enough. Adam and Eve held out those gifts and went, boop, it's dropped, okay? No, thank you, we don't want your gifts, you can have them back. And what happens when you offer a gift to someone and they refuse it? Well, you take it back, right? Unless you're one of those really pushy people who doesn't respect other people's freedom, you're not going to like keep forcing it on them, be like, no, take it. Okay. If you offer a gift to someone and they say, nah, I'm good, thanks. You might be embarrassed, but you'll take it back, right? And that's exactly what happened with God. He accepted that decision that Adam and Eve had made. Now, the decision that Adam and Eve made didn't just affect them. Okay, Adam and Eve were the first two humans. So as such, this decision that they made affected their descendants, okay, the people who came after them. So we can think of it like this. Imagine that your great-great-grandmother had these family jewels, right, that she wanted to hand on, okay, and she intended for these jewels to be passed on down the centuries through her family line. So she bequeathed them to her daughter, your great-grandmother, and your great-grandmother went and threw them in the ocean. Now that's a decision that will affect you. Generations down the line, you are going to experience poverty because of the decision of your great-grandmother. Now, no one's denying that that really sucks, okay? That really sucks. The decision that Adam and Eve made affects all of us, and that really sucks. But the person that we should be annoyed with (laughs) isn't the person who bequeathed the gifts in the first place. If we're annoyed with anyone, it should be with Adam and Eve, okay? Because they're the ones who took those gifts and threw them in the ocean. And this is where we can circle back to that objection that, you know, original sin is just God punishing us for something that someone else didn't do. God isn't punishing us, okay? God isn't sort of actively inflicting anything on us. God offered a gift to Adam and Eve that they rejected, okay? Knowing, because remember, they had that infused knowledge of God, they knew what the consequence of that was. They knew how it would affect all of us. But they made that decision and God accepted that decision because he respects our freedom. And in fact, the whole of salvation history is a story of God fighting to return us to that state of sanctifying grace, okay? God never gave up. From the moment, from Genesis onward, he remained reaching out to us, revealing himself to us bit by bit again, and eventually, through the death and resurrection of Christ, bringing us back into that relationship with him and making us able to participate in that divine life once again. So what are the consequences of Adam and Eve's decision for us? Well, basically, what this means is that we're all affected by original sin, Now, let's clarify what that means. Does that mean that we are all born bad people? Like from the moment of our birth, we're guilty of doing something wrong, even though we haven't done anything yet. No, 
Okay, and this is where we address that second objection, that idea that the church's teaching on original sin is all about sort of guilt and shame and painting us all as really bad people. Okay, that is not the case. And this is addressed really well in The Faith Explained. It says, original sin is not something that is on the soul or in the soul. On the contrary, it is something which is absent from the soul, something that ought to be there, the supernatural life which we call sanctifying grace. So basically what he's saying is that we're not born bad or evil people or bearing the burden of a sin we haven't committed yet. When Adam and Eve cut themselves off from sanctifying grace, they also cut off all of their descendants from sanctifying grace. So we're born with an absence of that life of God in us. We don't share in that divine life from the moment of our birth, okay? But it's not like there's a black mark or a blot on our soul, right? Rather, it's that that divine life of God is missing, And what's more, on a natural level, I remain wonderfully made, okay? Just like the rest of God's creation that is good. It participates in God's goodness just by virtue of being created, okay? But if I want to have a personal relationship with God and ultimately be united with him in heaven at the end of my life, then I need to be brought into that state of sanctifying grace through baptism. Now, this is something that we'll go into in more depth in later episodes. But basically, through his death and resurrection, Christ restored us to that relationship with him. Okay, We once more are able to enter into the state of sanctifying grace. Now, we might hear that and think, hang on. So if Christ died and rose for us and restored us to a relationship with him, then how come I still feel all the effects of original sin? Like, how come people still suffer and die? Why am I still influenced by my passions? How come I don't have that infused knowledge of God anymore? Well, you might see where this is heading, but basically what Christ's death and resurrection did was that it allowed for that blood transfusion to be carried out once again, okay? We can be in a state of sanctifying grace, and that means that we can ultimately go to heaven to be with him. And that's the main thing that he wanted for us, okay? That was the ultimate goal. So he's restored the main thing. However, what hasn't been restored to us is the preternatural gifts, Okay, so we still feel the effects of original sin because we don't have those extra gifts that make it super easy for us to remain in a state of sanctifying grace. Now, we might hear that and kind of think, well, that's not very fair. How come God didn't restore those gifts to us? Well, we have to remember, as we said earlier, that the preternatural gifts aren't things that are owed to us, okay, as human beings. They're not something that we have any kind of claim to, okay? God is under no obligation to give us those preternatural gifts. Now, I guess the question remains, like, okay, he doesn't have to restore those gifts to us, but why doesn't he? Like, surely he would. It would just make things so much easier. Why doesn't he just restore the preternatural gifts? Okay, well, this question kind of ties into the sort of broader, deeper question of why God allows suffering at all, okay? Why does he allow things to be difficult? Why does he allow evil to happen? And, you know, this is one of those examples of a question that would take a whole other episode on its own to even begin to sort of start to unpack. Okay, but one thing that we can bear in mind is we've discussed throughout this podcast this idea that God is love itself and the only thing that he wants for us is for us to be with him in heaven. Okay, so if we accept that idea, then it becomes clear that God wouldn't withhold anything that is good for us out of some kind of spite or pettiness, okay? If he has refrained from giving us something, 
It's because ultimately, and in some mysterious way, it is for our greater good. Okay, so here's one way that we might think about it, and this might seem like a kind of frivolous example, but I personally found it helpful. And I apologize in advance for yet another Marvel reference. <laughs> I'm referencing a lot of Marvel films in this episode because I've been watching them with my teenage sister who is completely obsessed. Okay, so in the first Thor film, Thor basically has a huge ego and he's being really immature, so his dad strips him of his powers and sends him to Earth to fend for himself. Now, on one level, that seems like a really cruel thing to do. But in the film, you see how Thor, once he's stripped of his powers, he kind of has to learn how to be a decent human being on his own. Um, and it sort of matures him and grows him up in really important ways. And we can kind of think of it in the same way with, with us. We don't have the preternatural gifts, okay? We don't have superpowers anymore. But the fact that we have to struggle harder and fight for our relationship with God harder kind of helps to mature us in our relationship with God and is kind of ultimately for our greater good. So this is something that St. Thomas Aquinas touches on, and it's quoted in the Catechism in point number 412. It says, There is nothing to prevent human natures being raised up to something greater, even after sin, God permits evil in order to draw forth some greater good. Thus, St. Paul says, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So the greater our sin, the greater the need and the presence of God's grace in our lives. At the same time, we also need to bear in mind that it's not like God doesn't give us any graces or gifts to help us, right? Once we're in the state of sanctifying grace, we have access to God's grace and he showers graces upon us, okay? Even if he doesn't give us the preternatural gifts. So he's not just leaving us to fend for ourselves. Okay, now one final question that we have to answer about original sin. If Adam and Eve did the wrong thing, why couldn't they just make it up to God? Like, why couldn't they just say sorry and then be reunited with him? How come Christ had to come to earth and die and rise for us? Okay, let's think of it this way. If you punch your sibling, okay, you might get in trouble with your parents. If you punch one of your parents, okay, you're going to get into bigger trouble, okay? You're going to be grounded for three months. If you punch your grandma, okay, you are going to be, like, sent to boarding school, okay? You're going to be in huge trouble. If you punched the queen, okay, you're going to go to jail, okay? Now, notice in each of those scenarios, the act didn't change, okay? Every time was me punching someone. The only thing that changed is the person that I was inflicting violence upon. Okay, the greater the dignity of that person and the greater the respect that I owe to them, the greater the crime it is when I hurt them. Now, God is a being of infinite goodness and dignity. So, even the smallest sin, when I hurt God in the tiniest ways, that has infinite repercussions, okay? Because I've offended a being of infinite dignity. Now, a debt like that can't be repaid by a finite creature with finite resources. So the only person who could restore us to that life of grace with God was God himself. And that is why Jesus Christ became man, okay, in order to suffer and die for us and rise from the dead and then restore us to that relationship with God, okay? And that's what we're going to talk about in the next episode. The next episode is going to be on the incarnation, okay? God made man. Okay, cool. All right. So that's everything that we have time for in this episode. Um, I'm going to leave it there and I will look forward to seeing you in two weeks. Bye.